Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Sebastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how are you doing today? I am, like, so beyond super excited, Dan. You know, normally, I mean, sometimes we have a great topic, and then sometimes we have great guests. And this time we have both. And we're going to be talking about the reflection of perfection, the number one selection, the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour, the prince of pandemonium, the one and only superstar Billy Graham. And I feel like Flounder at the end of Animal House when he said, oh, boy, is this great? You know, it's it's funny because not only you nailed it on the head, not only do we have a great topic, but we've got great guests. But the awesome story here is how this evolved. The, we, we just a natural conversation on the uh, on the Facebook page. And next thing you know. Wrestling legend Nikita Brezhnikov and Evan Ginsberg were talking about Billy Graham, and they both told us straight up, "You guys are going to book us on a show, and we're going to we're going to talk about this on the air." So here we are with uh, two two friends of the show, legends uh, in their own stories. Uh, Nikita, Evan, thank you guys for being here. Our pleasure. My pleasure. Yes, sir. And let me start off with a disclaimer, and it's in writing. And I'm not here to plug my book, but it's in the book. My favorite time of the 70s was when Superstar held the belt. I loved the man. No question about it. I sent him a letter one time. He posted it on Facebook. He was so happy. He sent me pictures. Superstar was great. But this question, was Superstar's run taken away too soon? I think it's in the top 10 of all-time discussed topics in the wrestling world, not just Absolutely. the fanboys and the know-it-all computer geeks. I'm talking to everybody. You, you always hear this brought up, so let's hammer it out. Well, you, he nailed it on the head. That's the topic. The, the debate is, yet, do we think that Billy Graham, superstar Billy Graham's title run was ended prematurely? So we'll start with the, uh, we'll start with the obvious. Benny, you said you had an intro question before we got started. You want to start with that? Well, um, so I guess my, my question is um, not really a question, maybe a comment that you know these two fine gentlemen can elaborate is that you know when when Bruno lost to Ivan Koloff, Madison Square Garden, right in the center of the ring, zero controversy. You know, with with Superstar, he loses in Baltimore. Not that Baltimore wasn't a big venue, but he didn't lose in the Garden. And he lost amidst very, you know, a, a lot of controversy. And I know, like in, in Nikita's book, that, you know, a, as a fan, he was pretty much, you know, pretty confident that it was going to be overturned by the uh, the Maryland Athletic Commission. And it wasn't. So I guess my question is, why did they do this one so much differently than they did the first one? Well, coming from that venue, okay, and you are absolutely correct, Benny, we, we left the building stunned because it's like nobody expected that but we thought oh they're going to take the belt away there's no way this can stand what did they see the film because and it's like yeah yeah they taped it they taped it we saw the camera which should have been a tip off but you know we lived in the alternate universe the true fiction kind of a thing we knew what was going on but we didn't want to know so 
there we go. We leave the building and we turn in championship wrestling. It was taped May 3rd following that April 30th match shown and four days later on that Saturday. And it's like Vince is showing clips of the match in Baltimore and there's no mention superstar is going to lose the belt. Then we get these mail-in programs that Capital Wrestling used to put out with a letter that I posted the other day from the State Athletic Commission advising Phil Zacco. They said, we're not happy with the outcome. There was certain discrepancies, and we demand a rematch. So it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Now Bruno's got to, well, Bruno will beat him. We ain't worrying about that. But the reality part, the reason it was done there was because of that stipulation. Because, Evan, you remember when Bruiser Brody did it against Bruno in the garden. He had his feet on the ropes. They ring the bell. And it was like, no, 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 no. The judges come in. They, they won't let that stand. Maryland's law, believe it or not, true law was once an official renders a decision, it cannot be overturned. So, hmm. Bruno gets to save face. Superstar is the champion. And the belt changes in Baltimore, giving all of the fans across the Northeast hope that they can actually see a title change, that it won't just be Madison Square Garden. So they accomplished uh, they accomplished much with that move. Now, I, I couldn't help but uh, I couldn't help but hear when you were talking about it in the beginning. You said when we were there, what was the atmosphere like for, for among the boys at that point? Among the boys. Well, the, the the crowd, I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, the fans. Yeah, yeah, because I was only 19 at the time. We, uh, yeah, we it was normal. You figured, oh, okay, Bruno's going to meet Superstar, which he had done the year before in 1976. Great matchups, but it was almost a cookie-cutter match, sort of what they had already had. And I'm not complaining. We loved it. We, we didn't like a whole lot of deviation. We came, we wanted to see what we wanted to see, and that was always the case. And we were all usually not disappointed. So, you know, we were ready. But the tip-off was when Bruno takes the belt off. First, he looks at Arnold Skolan, and then he hands it to the referee. And the referee, whose name was Jack Davis, he didn't know what the hell to do with it. He sticks it under his arm, because usually Arnold Skolan walks off with the right. belt. But, you know, the match itself, because at the end, you know, Superstar was cut pretty badly so we're figuring hey you know here's another one bruno's got him and then boom he scoops his legs he's got the feet on the ropes that's like it it wasn't stunned like you say when koloff won people were very vocal and they they started to boo and the, the and superstar ran for his life as did the ref he got the hell out of there quick because uh, well if we have time we'll get into something dick Worley had told me once about that because they caught a lot of the heat too besides the heels it's like, you son of a bitch, you blew the call, and now Bruno lost the belt, so we're going to take it out on you. So, yeah, those poor referees, they didn't live a very pleasant life all the time. I would imagine. Um, I'm curious, uh, Evan, you have spoken on this in the past uh, among many topics. What were, what were your thoughts at the time when the, this series, I should say, because uh, obviously – uh, we'll get into what Billy Graham had, some of the, the more memorable title defenses. Uh, but what were your thoughts on the business at this time? We had heard rumors that Graham was going to win the belt <laughs> on that day, in that town, in that venue. 
it, it, it was not a huge surprise. Um, and I just want to say, my, my father was a New York City taxi driver. He drove in the 60s and 70s. He picked up Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland, Eisenhower, Nixon, you know, Jason Robots, Anthony Quinn, etc., so on. And he was very jaded. He said movie stars and celebrities are a dime a dozen in this town. But he said to me, I'll never forget it, he said, there's only three people that stop traffic in New York, Muhammad Ali, Julie Newmark, because nobody was built like her, and superstar Billy Graham. Superstar Billy Graham. Because you have to understand that back in the 70s, there wasn't a gym on every corner. The uh, exercise craze hadn't quite started. He was bleach blonde. He was 6'2 or 3. He looked like he had dropped down from another planet. Nobody looked like him. The charisma was off the charts off the charts, and when he would walk into Madison Square Garden, whether as champion or challenger or whatnot, the building would shake, the sheer charisma that he had, and nobody spoke like him. <laughs> you know, he, he patterned himself after Ali, and he was one of the all-time great talkers, and the outfits were outrageous, you know, with the tie-dye and he, it was like he dropped down from Mars. This was the mid-70s. And it was just an amazing time to be around this. And, um, you know, the, the fans today, oh, you know, he wasn't a great worker. You know, yeah, nobody's going to, you know, uh, confuse him with Billy Robinson. But the guy was unbelievable. The Bill Madison Square Garden would be sold out pretty much every month with him on top, and the building would shake. And let me just say one other quick thing. Him and Bruno were perfect together. Bruno was the humble guy in a plain pair of black, black you know, tights. And, and there, there's Billy Graham, you know, who, who was outrageously dressed and, uh, you know, it was like Lex Luthor and Superman or Batman and the Joker. They were perfect rivals. And the simplest thing, a test of strength, would, would the fans would go out of their minds. Today they'd have to do 37 high spots to get half that reaction. Yeah, nobody called boring when those two locked up in a test of strength or a headlock or a bear hook. Exactly. I have a comment, and then I have a question. So my, my comment is, here we are. This happened 44 years ago, and we're still passionately discussing this. I mean, can you imagine in the year 2065, will people be talking about, you know, whether Bray Wyatt should have beat Randy Orton, I, I you know, for the, uh, for the title? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. So, I mean, I just think it's absolutely amazing that, like, you know, I'm still as emotionally invested in this 44 years later as I was when I was a kid when it first happened. But my question is, was there any other, uh, you know, obviously Bruno was ready to, you know, to take some time off. And he, you know, I, I, I think initially he was supposed to be a champion for a year. And then he just, you know, I kept going, but I guess, I guess he had a pretty good deal going. But then he got his, he broke his neck against Stan Hansen. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure by that time he was ready to take a little bit of time off. Was there any other consideration to anybody else besides superstar Billy Graham? Not that I'm aware of. Like a Ken Patera or anybody like that? <clears throat> well, now, it's funny you mentioned that because 
on May 6th, 1978, and I, you guys know I post every day with this day in history kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to see Patera against Backlund because Backlund had just won February 20th. Well, that afternoon, we get this quick promo. And when I say quick promo, it was not like the normal situation where Vince is standing by the ring. This was a curtain of some sort. Uh, it was a description. I would say it looked like a bed sheet. It was like a really weird color, but it was obvious it was a curtain. So Vince comes out with, well, there's been a, a shifting tonight that's going to take place in Baltimore. Lou Albano, manager of Ken Patera, and Fred Blassie, manager of Spiros Arion, have pulled a fast one. They have switched the contract. Backlund will not face Patera. He will, in fact, face Arion. Well, what happened? Patera got mad. He was upset that it wasn't him, and he hightailed it because he was actually in Charlotte that night. So, And then he didn't meet a lot of his other commitments until he returned back in 1980. He did come to the Garden for the May 22nd Backlund, or, uh, yeah, Backlund match, picked up that payday, and then Mascaris for the June 26th card. But that was it. He picked up the two big paydays, and the, he was pissed that it wasn't him. And I don't know. I can't blame him, but... As we're going to talk, you know, Evan saying the building shook. Yeah, he did. It did. But why did it shake? And I was in the dark. I had no contacts. I had no knowledge of the business at that point. I was a fan only. We wanted to see Graham beat because he's the guy that stole the belt from Bruno, especially Baltimoreans. We were it was like we got this black cloud over us now because it happened here. He's got to lose. And then we went Bruno's rematch. He knocks out the referee by accident. Then it was Bobo. Oh, man. We were like, yeah, the building was packed for that one. Then Strongbow. Then Putski. But see, then Billy Graham got hurt with that match against Rhodes in the Garden on September 27th. It's like, uh-oh. Now what? Now he's hurt. He's legitimately hurt. He had a staph infection developed from that. So it was like, they were without a champion for about a good six weeks. He did make a comeback in time for the Garden Show with Dusty Rhodes for that rematch, luckily, on October 26th. But then it was like, you know, people wanted to see Graham beat. He was always good, as Evan described. I agree 100%. But Superstar was not the mega man he was until he was the guy that stole the belt from Bruno. And that's what put him on the map, aside from Spirosarion, who had the mortar shaking when he wrestled Bruno, Patera, when he, Koloff, people like that. Billy Graham in 1976 was not that crazy over, but in 1977... In New York, he he sold out the garden in in the snowstorm. (laughs) You know, and they they had closed circuit. He was huge in New York. I, I don't know about Baltimore. Even in 76. But they didn't do a whole lot with him because if you look, he didn't stay that long. Two two matches, two main events, not three, yeah. Right, And and then what did they come back with? Bruno and his cousin against uh, Koloff and Billy Graham. That was good. That was a good tag match, but they should have gone three. They should have gone more. But who knows? Maybe, because Bruno had to have a say in this, who he was going to turn the belt over to, I'm sure. And he had to be feeling the effects 
Well, obviously, he felt the effects of the broken head. It's like, I can't do this much longer. You guys better figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And then I guess they started figuring, well, who's, who's it going to be? And as it's been said many times, now from an inside point of view, the old man, then senior, said to Billy Graham, you're going to win the belt this day and you're going to drop it that day. And that was it. Because the formula at that time was, and Superstar was too big. He was a great heel, but they wanted a smaller guy. Even though Bruno was a gorilla, he wasn't that tall. So you got to be, a, I say, like a, a face that is, and a good guy for those that know what we're talking about, you got to be a good guy who doesn't look like you can beat the bad guy. You got to put the bully down. Superstar was too big. He would like, okay, you can say the well, look at Hulk Hogan. But then in that situation, and we can go into that in a bit, that was apples and oranges. But for Billy Graham, he was there when they wanted. Right must win, and that's it. And you're not it. And changing him face, I don't think was going to do it. Speaking, um, we'll circulate back to him, to his uh, proposed face turn in a moment here. <clears throat> but you just mentioned something. Uh, we, Benny and I were talking about before we went on the air. Uh, you talked about Hulk Hogan. I'm curious what your and Evan's thoughts are on the the running joke uh, or I should say running narrative that Graham, Billy Graham should get some royalties from Jesse Ventura and Hulk Hogan for the fact that they basically were him 10 years later. Go, Evan. Well, it's pretty clear that they liberally borrowed much of Graham's <laughs> stick and look and uh, even promos were, were similar. Um I don't think they would deny that they were heavily influenced by Graham. And, uh, you know, they look, they all borrow from the best. Uh, Randy Savage borrowed from Pampero Furpo, and Billy Graham borrowed from Muhammad Ali. And, you know, you take from the best and, and expand on it. So, but, but, um, Nikita briefly mentioned there was a main event at the Garden, and I was there, Parisi and Bruno against Koloff and Graham. And what would happen every time Graham and Koloff tagged is mid-match, they would get into some kind of argument. They'd start shoving each other, and it looked like they were about to break up, but it was a tease, and the fans would go out of their minds and they'd be cheering for Graham. They'd be cheering for Graham. So the, it, it was there. It was there if they wanted to turn him face. It would have been almost easy. Because he, he was an early heel that some of the fans liked, much like Piper, much like Savage later on. Because he was just, he was the cool heel, you know. And a, a portion of that crowd liked him already. And had they turned him, it would have worked. It would have worked. He he was the good bad guy before Steve Austin. <clears throat> but the problem is, in my point of view, why I don't think it would have worked for long. At least that's way the way the people that were running the the company looked at it too. It's like, look, with Spiros Arion, he had been established for many years in the 60s 
before he returned in 74, again, as Bruno's friend. And, you know, hey, Bruno, I want a match. No, 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 I'm going to team you with my good friend Strongbow, and you guys will do good. And then we know what happened from there. And that was murderous heat. That was dangerous heat. Just to have, like Peter Maivia, when they did the thing with Backlund, it's like, we knew that was bullshit. He didn't know Backlund when he was in college. They had teamed up a couple of, two tapings, and that's it. You know, maybe two matches each taping. It was more, and I've said this before, more heat that Maivia had turned on Strongbow, which they strategically did the Monday following the Saturday showing with the Backlund match. That Monday night in the garden, Maivia turns on Strongbow against the Lumberjacks. That is what really put Maivia over as a hated heel. But that didn't even have too much longevity to it. It, it. That kind of fizzled out because it just was like, okay, boom, boom, boom. The partner turns on the other. You're Okay, and then this is a little bit reversed, though. In this case, you're going to be a bad guy who now you think the fans are going to trust you and accept you after you stole the belt from Bruno? Maybe. And I agree with Evan that we, because we would walk down the aisle with him in Baltimore and he would flex for you because, and there we had no, no barriers like they had in the garden, no guardrails mm-hmm. you could go. And he would, you, you could pat his arm and it was like, man, this is unbelievable. And then it was like, okay, here he goes. And here comes Strongbow. Here comes Putsky. I never heard anybody say they wanted Graham to beat them. They wanted them to beat Graham, whoever it was. That's the difference with my view on it, it's like, yeah, he probably would have got over for a while, but would he have lasted? But the other shoe to this discussion is Bob Backlund becoming champion, and people say, oh, he was boring. How could they replace Superstar with Backlund? Because he was the mold that the company wanted. That's why they did it and why it happened. Did they just want to go in the direction of the, you know, the, the NWA, the, like the Jack Briscoe, the, the Dory Funk? Did they, is, is that what Vince Senior wanted? Yes. Yes. And that's been spoken, I believe, Superstar's book, Backlund's book. I've heard it from Nikolai and other people. Chief was, you know, he, he knew both of them and he was, he liked Backlund and he was like, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted that good guy as a champion. They weren't quite ready for the rogue champion yet. And Superstar, that's why I guess when you say 20 years too soon, yeah, because in today's climate, he would be crazy. He would be no stopping. He'd be like a freight train. He, he would make Stone Cold, it would be no contest without a doubt. He, he would definitely run the show today. But back then, they weren't ready for a rogue champion. I'm wondering if they, the thing- if they want, go ahead, I'm sorry. The, the, the other thing is it, they had a very simple system that worked. They would bring in the heel to the TV tapings and, you know, really build them up. Then he would come to, let's say, the Garden and he'd beat Danucci or Dean Ho or Tony Gurria. And next thing you know, they, they would face Pedro or Bruno or Backlund, whoever the face champion was. It just worked. It was simple. And then after the champion beat them, they would be knocked down a notch or two. Then they'd be, you know, wrestling for the Intercontinental belt in the 80s or mid-card. They would slowly, 
you know, go down the ladder and then leave the territory and a couple of years later come back and they do the same cycle. Guys like Waldo Von Erich and Killer Kowalski and George Steele wrestled Bruno hundreds and hundreds Tanaka. of times Tanaka. over the years. Tanaka, exactly. And uh, it just worked. And they were fresh again a couple of years later. So, you know, if, if you're making crazy money and... They were in large arenas on the East Coast, and you had a system. I, I understood why Vince Sr. did this, but I'm just saying as somebody who was sitting at the Garden, uh, I tend to disagree with Nikita, who I love like a brother. But I'm telling you, when, when Graham and Koloff went at it, those fans were 100% for Graham, and they, and they, they were ready a face Billy Graham and, and about 10 years after the fact he was a face in WWF and yes. he headlined mm-hmm. against Butch Reed I saw them in a cage at the garden but it was just a little too late you know he was past his prime he, he was at the end he, yeah. he had yeah. various injuries but it could have been done in 1977 or 8 and he would have been huge I think he would have been huge and when Evan says make money that was the only way they made money back then. The only thing they sold at an arena made it maybe were some eight by tens and popcorn and beer. The mm-hmm. money and a fifty cent program. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And the, and you had to give Norman Kaiser, I guess, a cut of the two because he provided those. But the money came from the turnstile, so you had to make sure you filled the building every month when they did that circuit every month. Yeah. We- and the garden was Black Friday every month. And we've we've talked about it before, um, I think, on some of the uh, previous appearances you gentlemen have had. And then I know it's come up with some of the past talents. If you didn't sell tickets, you didn't get paid regardless. Uh, but that leads me to the 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 point, I think, that kind of goes into how this all started. On I mentioned at the top of the program, it was a natural progression from a Facebook conversation. Things like ticket sales. And and record numbers and things like that are that, that's rec that's public record. You not necessarily a dip, but Backlund's run was very stagnant versus the money that Bruno and Superstar and that previous generation brought in. And then obviously with the Sheik into Hogan, the the popularity rose significantly. Um. So I'm wondering, it kind of good to go off of, of where the topic came from. Do you think that if they had face or heel, if they had just kept he say a uh, uh, heel Billy Graham for another year, do you, do you think they could have built a, a bigger foundation, uh, or do you think having a face champion is the only reason the Backlund transition worked? Well, now Dan, Backlund. Uh, go ahead, Nikita. It, I disagree that the houses were down, and that they are verifiable. Because I'm going to tell you something: if they weren't where they needed, Backlund would have been gone. Because even in his book, he said in 1982 he was approached by Vince Senior because Snuka was like crazy fire, like we're talking like superstar could have been. And Vince Senior was like, "Look, I want your honest opinion. What about Superfly as champion?" Backlund said, you know, yeah, he's great. I'm not sure about his outside the ring activities. That's up to you. 
And that's what ultimately stopped it. But if you aren't bringing in the money, you're gone. Like they did it with Pedro. Because look, I, I've, I've said it before, Bobo carried Baltimore throughout summer of 1973. Okay. And it's like, why is that? You mean Pedro didn't need the money? Come on. No, he apparently wasn't drawing as well as Bobo could in Baltimore. And then when they replaced him with Bruno, even though Stasiak was transitional, it was like it was done quick because Bruno was still tag champion in Indianapolis with Dick the Bruiser. And it's like, man, now he's got to these commitments in Indianapolis run back and forth to the East Coast. And from what I understand, they they basically stalked Bruno at the airports, Vince Sr. and Jr. And it's like, we need you back. And that's all there is to it. And he relented and did it. You know, it was I think he wanted more time. It's not that he was against it, but it was kind of like, well, you know, I don't want to do it right now. But it was like, well, we need you now. And OK, they did it. So it's like if Backlund wasn't doing it, even though when they say pack, they would stack the card. They did it with Billy Graham in the beginning, because remember, he wrestled Monsoon as his first title defense. But that was just happenstance because they were already scheduled and the belt changed hands and Bruno's wrestling steel. They had Bruno on every show for the first four months, just to make, or if he wasn't wrestling Bruno. And Boston, not so much Baltimore, but Boston, which was a bigger town too. Bruno was in Philadelphia Spectrum. Bruno was on the undercard until they were sure, okay, he's running. Let him go. He's fine to go on his own. But they still, you know, they put him in the guard with Dusty Rhodes and Mascaris and people like that. Because when it was Maivia, they didn't sell out. But I have to say, in Peter Maivia's defense, that was Thanksgiving week, and the rest of the cards stank. The only other thing was Gurry and Zabisco against Tanaka and Fuji. And, uh, they, and what, you know, there are people that didn't just go for the main event. They went for the whole card. Mm-hmm. So, and Thanksgiving week, that was just bad timing, in my opinion. So I would not hold that against either one. Well, let if me, I let can... Just, let me just, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me just, let me just add something as far as Backlund. Um, one of the reasons the Intercontinental Belt was added was to help Backlund's draw. And um, so you had twice Pedro Morales, who was the former world champion as the intercontinental champion. So you had Backlund on top, you had Morales in the co-feature, you had the tag team titles, you know, I'm talking at the garden and major arenas. So you had three championships, you know, on one card. And this obviously helped Backlund. The intercontinental belt wasn't an accident. And what fans will tell you is, Backlund was great with the technicians. You put him in the ring with somebody who could actually wrestle, and he had beautiful matches with a Valentine or a Patera. You know, he was great with wrestlers. He couldn't carry the big lumbering guys, the super heavyweights. He he just couldn't. Ric Flair could, like, wrestle anybody, but Backlund couldn't. But um, then you had guys like Patera and Morocco, and uh, Santana, these were great, great wrestlers as intercontinental champions, and this helped Backlund throughout his long run. And um, so was he a great draw? I think it was a combination of everything, to be honest. It's a combination, but you on top, 
you are going to get the big money and you are what the company is riding on. So if the house is that like Ken Patera almost got axed before he took off, because you remember, Evan, it was January of 77 and you had it was frigid because I remember I was going to work in Baltimore across the Potomac. It was frozen solid. You guys had the rails frozen. I think the house was down 6,000 that night because people just couldn't get there. And Senior was ready to say, this is, he's done. He ain't coming back next week. And Bruno was like, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. People can't get here. It's not his fault. Bring them back and see what happens. And, of course, the rest is history. So it's like, man, if you're on top and that house is down, you get the credit or you get the blame. Nobody else, they don't care who's underneath. It's on you, too, on that main event. True, but but there were nights where Backlund was wrestling one of the Samoans and Snooker's wrestling Morocco. And I'm telling you, the fans were there for Snooker in Morocco. I'm sorry. Well, that happened with Bruno Bruno and Zabisco, too, because it was like, why waste a top contender with Backlund to give him the Samoans? No offense to them, but they were tag champions. It's like, like, they give him one of the Samoans because their people are here for Bruno and Zabisco. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you could have gave the whole company off and just put Bruno and Zabisco in the ring, and that would have sold out. <laughs> right. That was on fire. Well, let me ask you something. We, we were talking, and, and uh, some information that came up as, as we prepare research. I mean, I, I couldn't hope, hope to hold a candle to some of the knowledge you gentlemen have, but I noticed there was a trend during Backlund's title reign, and it's kind of what I was alluding to. He had a lot of title unification matches uh his his time limit draws with everybody from harley race nick bockwinkle rick flair uh i I believe he had uh correct me if i'm wrong he he actually won a unification match against don morocco when he was the florida heavyweight champion um i'm curious you you goes to what evan was saying a lot of backland's prominent moments seem to be on in on very stacked cards where yeah he was the top guy but he wasn't the the one match draw that that bruno could have been or or previous champions i'm i'm wondering what your thoughts are on that i don't agree because again with him as the champion that's what they looked at because now see with the intercontinental belt technically and you know the history of it, but for those that don't, let me go real quick. Ted DiBiase comes in with the North American belt, February 13th of 79. Supposedly, he beat Fritz von Erich. Okay. Then Patterson takes it from him June 19th. Then we get this intercontinental belt, supposedly Rio de Janeiro, September the 1st, even though they announced that Patterson's Intercontinental Champion on August 27th show, but it's like, <laughs> so, okay, whatever. He's in so many classic matches in Rio. All the best matches. <laughs> but yeah. that was for the B-Towns. It was great for the Garden, but it was basically B-Towns, because Morocco even said, look, they wanted to give Snooker the Intercontinental belt. The, you know, and it was like, but we can't trust him with it. You know, and they were like, we don't know because I'm told Snooker was supposed to be the main event at WrestleMania with Hogan, but Vince had everything on his, his blood on the line. And it's like, if he doesn't make it or if he can't perform, we're screwed. So they could dismiss Mr. T in, which I know a lot of people hated after spending years of 
beating your brains out and you bring in a Hollywood guy and they put Snook in their corner and it was like, okay, it is what it is. But for Backlund, when you look at the pop he gets, if you go back to the old YouTube matches or if anybody's got tapes, I mean, when he reverses the figure four on Valentine, the roof comes off. It's crazy. He When he beat the original Sheik, or, I'm, I'm sorry, Great uh, Hussein before he became the Iron Sheik, when he beat him after that battle royal in 1979 on June 4th, it was like, wow. I mean, the, the people were just crazy for it. He was not Bruno. He never claimed to be. And he, they knew he wasn't going to be. You can never follow that man. But he was what they wanted. And then he carried on from there. And to me, the transition, then you hear people saying uh, he, he didn't want to drop the belt to the mass superstar. And Backlund's like, I, I never had a choice. <laughs> if they would have told me Joe Turco or you know, whoever, I'd drop the belt to them. That's what the business was. Here's what we're doing, Bob. You're going to drop it to Mula tonight, and that's the end of it. And you go do it. Boom. That's the. But it was like, no, it wasn't the mass superstar. He was not in the mix. They wanted to do this transition. He and he was basically lied to anyway. They said, well, you'll get the belt back in February. Don't worry about it or January. And then it was like, here comes Hulk Hogan, and it's like, hmm. But as Evan had stated earlier, the formula which worked. That's where it broke. December 26, 1983, the formula changed when Sheik beat Backlund. Wasn't Sheik's fault. He was the transitional champion for Hulkamania, which, in my opinion, was okay for a while. But then, as Nikolai said, people start to feel sorry for the heel because Hogan too big. He, he crushed everybody. It's like, that's right. He got sickening after a while. You didn't want to see it anymore. And Evan, that's how I met you. Remember that talk show in Baltimore? Because you were talking to Motionberg and the other guy that ran it. You were saying how Hulkamania wasn't going to last. I called in to take the stupid uh, contest because nobody could remember who Backlund's last opponent was in Baltimore. But then I said, I want to talk to your host because he's right. And they, they all thought we were nuts. And it's like, he's not like Bruno. No way. He's not. He does not carry that. He's got all the hype. He's got the cable. He's got Cindy Lauper. He's got Cal Rudman and all those people. I mean, that's like adrenaline. I mean, you got like your stock. That's like getting stock tips. Yeah. Put your money on this. Boom. You can't lose. Wow. If you couldn't carry the company with all of that, shame on you. But the thing that people forget with Hogan, and he also, you know, he had great matches with Piper and Orndorff and, you know, a few others. But, you know, he was limited in the ring. But what people forget is that he only came to the Garden three or four or five times a year. Bruno was there every month. Pedro was there every yes. month. Graham was there. Backlund was there every month as champion. So they knew what they had was a very charismatic performer, but... He would have burnt them out, you know, uh, 12 times a year because it's the same shtick every, every yeah. match. He, yeah. At the eight-minute mark, he drops the leg drop on the guy, and that's it, and you know he's going to win. And uh, it was, you know, as, as a quarterly guy to come in, hey, wow, Hulk Hogan's coming. He's colorful. But not every month. And uh, 
So he was not the draw that Bruno was. I'm sorry. Oh. You know, Bruno was Bruno was champion 11 years between the two runs. Mm-hmm. And that's why when people talk about Hogan being so great and took the company to heights, I said, wait a minute. Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheep had a lot to do with 1984, and so did Piper, and so did Nikolai and the Sheep. Those people were there, too, and they helped put that company up where it was. I don't like the way it went because I was an old-timer, and I didn't want things to change, but they had to because all of our favorites were getting older. So they had to do what they had to do. But don't just think Hulk Hogan was it. That's like Evan saying, no, that wasn't going to happen. You know, that's what they did with the Giant, though, when he first started in 73. They didn't give him to us every month. In every city, it would be like once in a while you get the Giants. If you're lucky to see him two months in a row, oh, that's great. But they didn't over, and they weren't worried that he couldn't draw. Because all Andre, Andre could sit in the ring and eat soup and it, it would fill the house. He was just <laughs> such a phenomenon. But it was like they, they just tempered him well. They, he was like gold. They were just building, you know, just make sure Andre's done properly. We don't want to waste him. Because that thing with Killer Khan, I always say he was the luckiest son of a bitch on the face of the earth. Because I think he's ready to go. He was finished his uh, all his shots with Backlund pretty much. That program was over. Then Andre breaks his ankle and goes, like, whoa, whoa, Khan, don't pack your bags yet. We're going to make some money, baby. And then, boy, did they ever... Go ahead, Benny. So uh, I guess like what I'm going to say really is uh, to me is the essence of this whole this whole topic is that, you know, when 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 Vince Sr. chose Billy Graham, uh, like, you know, like Nikita said, there was, you know, there's a begin date and there was an end date. But in Vince's mind, I think there was a certain expectation level of how Billy was going to do. And, and so like, I'm thinking. You know, say I had a boss and he said, well, I'm going to give you this job for 10 months and then I'm going to replace you. And, you know, a part of me is going to say, well, yeah, OK, that's fine. But the other part of me is going to say, you know what, I'm going to do such a great job that at the end of that 10 months, there's no way you can replace me because, like, I, I will have done that job so well. And I do think that Billy Graham did do that. So I'm just wondering, you know, it, it was it Vince McMahon just you know, not willing to change his plans because he was, you know, so stuck on doing what he was doing. Or, I mean, I, I, I would think he had to be pleased with how the company was doing financially, you know, how Billy was drawing. So what, like, do you think it was just that he was so stuck in his ways that he didn't want to change? Yes, that's a good part of it. And what you just said, Benny, I mean, hey, we're making money. Why do we want to change this and gamble with this other, with a new guy? What? Uh, part of it was that Vince had made a promise to uh, Jim Barnett, I believe, with Backlund and to Backlund. And he was a man, as you've probably heard a million times, when he said and shook your hand, this is what we're doing. That's what we were doing, no matter what. If it was going to be changed because things collapsed, then sure, he would have changed it. But he stuck to what even Vince Jr. said it. My father saw things differently. And I'm not going to, you know, be disrespectful, but I would have probably done them differently. But he was going to do what he was going to do. And in those days, that was it. The bad guy had to be put down. And Billy Graham had the longest run of anybody. And it was, he was absolutely great. They didn't lose a dime on him. He was fantastic, as we've said. But it was time 
to go back to the old formula. That's what they were going out with. I have a follow-up question, I guess, you know, as far as Bob Backlund goes, because I did a little bit of research before the podcast, and I guess when Superstar won the belt, he was in Georgia, Backlund, and then he, after that, he transitioned to the AWA, and for most of the whole time, I think it was up until November, he did, like, I guess he did the TV tapings in in, uh, Hamburg and Allentown, but he really didn't wrestle in any house shows for the most part until maybe December, and but I looked at the you know what he did like in in Georgia he was losing to Randy Savage he actually lost to Ole Anderson he lost to the French Angel, and in Minnesota in AWA he was going to time limit draws with uh, Greg Gagne and, and Jim Brunzel. I mean, do you think uh, was that done for a reason? They're trying to just keep him like a. And back then, of course, you can get away with that because nobody in the in the in New York was going to know what happened. But right. you know, was there any reason why they didn't push him any harder? At the Garden, he was winning month after month for several months. And um, the, the, the month before he won the belt, they had him as the co-feature, and he was wrestling one of the executioners, uh, Big John Studd, right. Chuck O'Connor. So, you know, the executioner in and of himself was not a big name, but that was listed as the co-feature of that card, Billy Graham's last title defense against Mascaris, so they were pushing him pretty hard in New York, that I can tell you. All right, wait a minute, uh, let me let me correct you on something. Uh, now, see, the, he did that in April with John Studd, the other execution. He actually took the mask off. Then they bring him back in September, he beats Larry Sharp. Not bad, okay. They're, they're giving us little tastes of him. Then December is when he starts up full gear, he beats Fuji, and then that January... He, he was the last survivor in that elimination match, and he puts down Tanaka, Fuji, and, and uh, Sakluna all by himself because all his partners are eliminated. Okay, and he was so the, I, I had it in reverse, but, what, but what, what we're both saying is month after month at the Garden, they were pushing him hard. And he, for whatever stupid reason, and I say this is stupid because they didn't need him with Maskers. They put him in the corner with Maskers twice, and it's like, leave that out. That's dumb. Mascaris is fine on his, like Evan, you said, they almost rioted because Mascaris won by blood and they thought he got the belt. And then when they didn't give the belt to him, it was like, oh, boy, this isn't good. Yeah. Because, you know, Mill Mascaris, I mean, shoot. Uh, and now there you go. There's another one. I, I don't know if he didn't want to be there for a long time throwing the belt on him. I mean, he would have drawn without a doubt. Dusty Rhodes, of course, it was uh, he was all over too much Florida here, there. He, you couldn't pin him down. He was always on the run. But what, the set backland up that way, it was great. I mean, they, they had the right ideas. Because I believe even Bruno, two nights before at the Spectrum, he didn't know what was going on. And Billy Graham's telling him. And before the big cage match, which they turned 10,000 people away from. And, and that's been verified by several. Uh, Ange- the, uh, yeah, Angelo, you guys, your old buddy there, he can tell you the facts about that one. They turned 10,000 people away that night. And it was just, they wish they could have put them in the seats, but that was it. They were full. So superstars telling Bruno, and he's like, "Really? They're going to take the belt off you? You're doing a good business." And it, but okay, because he's and he like, was very surprised that it was Bob Backlund, though, from what Billy Graham said. Yeah, he was shocked. Yeah, well, you know, who really knew much about him? 
at that time. Except, like you say, a little bit of TV, they were building him up. See, that's why it was so strange with Dusty Rhodes, for me, and Superstar, because he wasn't on television before the Garden match. They they had him in the Garden that March, so they replayed that. He didn't start TV until the next day after the Garden show. So it was kind of like, well, Dusty Rhodes, yeah, you know, we kind of see him in these magazines. Because Evan was lucky. You guys had cable. Baltimore, we didn't have cable. So we didn't know yeah, who we had Florida TV. Dusty yeah, was did. huge mm-hmm. on Florida TV. We didn't know who any of these other people were. That's why I think the Anoki Ali thing was such a bust. And they had to drag poor Bruno out of a sickbed to save the company. And it's like, yeah, Muhammad Ali's great, but who the hell's Anoki? We see pictures of him in the magazines, but we don't see him. Who cares? Right. And in those days, uh, that paper, that, uh, not pay-per-view, but the closed circuit, the closed circuit. I wonder what those tickets went for. Ain't nobody had that kind of money to be plunking down for a guy that they didn't really know. And boxer versus wrestlers dumb. Anyway, I don't think anybody half ass cared about that. That's too gimmick. It was a horrible match too. Yeah. And they even tried to put Freddie in there with Ali, but Bruno and Hanson, that was the draw. Hmm. Go ahead, Benny. Looks like you got. I, I, and you had you mentioned it in your book, uh, Nikita. Why didn't I mean, Chief J Strongbow was so over for so many years and such a loyal. It seemed a loyal employee. Why didn't he get a title shot in the Garden against Superstar Billy Graham? Well, timing was one thing. There was only so many spots left before you had Rhodes and Maskers come in. My Via got this spot in November, but. I think they should have went with Strongbow. And again, I say it was a weak card. It was Thanksgiving week. But I think Strongbow would have brought in the extra 3000 because for so many years, he was number two. And I think, because I know, at least in Baltimore, when he got his chance, and that's what the program said, Strongbow gets long-awaited title match. And it was like, oh, yeah, finally, Chief's going to get what he so deserved, a shot at the belt. But I just think it was timing. I know Evan saw them at Nassau, which was the B show yeah, to the garden. headlined the Coliseum. So it was kind of like, well, we throw them at, they threw Gurria that, and Zabisco, and Monsoon won the Battle Royal that December to get the shot. But it was like the garden. And, and they tried to build it up with Maivia. They had the ukulele busted over his head by Superstar. And it was like, eh, it was okay. But I think Strongbow would have put him over the top. I really do. And they could have had at least two matches, I would think. Yeah. Now, they did the following year because the Chief was the guest referee for the big cowbell match with Superstar and Rhodes. They gave him heat because he kept getting involved in the match. And then that match, Evan was there, I'm sure. It wasn't spectacular. And I think Chief had a case of he wasn't too happy about not getting a main event with Graham the year before. So I don't think they really went out and gave it uh, all they could. So it was kind of like, yeah, it was a good match, but it wasn't great. Yeah, I was there. I I was a little disappointed, but uh, I'll tell you, one of my greatest memories in almost 50 years of attending wrestling, Graham's wrestling Bruno and uh, great, great match. And, at one point, Graham makes like he's quitting, and he leaves the ring, and he heads back to the dressing room, and Monsoon was the ref. 
So he goes into the dressing room, throws Billy Graham over his shoulders, thumps him back in the ring, and the fans let out a roar. It was like the Roman gladiators, like the fans smelled blood. I, I'll never forget it. It was like a primeval roar. and The building was literally shaking. And this is, again, this is what the fans today don't understand, the incredible charisma that Graham had. Just this unbelievable charisma. And, um, you, you know, you, you can't judge, you know, you can't say, well, Billy Graham is not the wrestler that Daniel Bryan is, you know, because, you know, Billy Graham had a hundred times the charisma, no matter how good a wrestler Daniel Bryan is. So, you know, it's apples and oranges. You could appreciate both, but uh, I don't understand why some of today's fans... And, uh, and it all goes back to Nikita, the, the title of Nikita's book, When It Was Real. Because, I mean, I remember, I can still remember the emotions that I had when I watched these matches that we're talking about. And, I mean, now I'll watch it and, you know, I mean, I'll watch the current product and, you know, I mean, like, occasionally I'll say, that was a pretty good move. But, like, I could really, you know, it, it's very hard for me to care. Then it was, like, impossible for me not to care. Mm-hmm. And, again, 44 years later, we're talking about it. Right. And people will probably carry, I don't know how many of us are left in the next 20 years to carry it on. But now I feel sorry for today's people, their fans, well, because it's... there's no blood. How the hell do you go out there? Maybe we. I, I was watching with the wife the other night in the, the alley fight. She got sick and had to leave. She said, something's wrong with you. It's like, I know. Sometimes it's like we're demented. I don't know, sadomasochist, but it's like it meant something. You had to give that. You couldn't just go out there and have two guys fighting in their underwear and not mean anything. You needed blood, okay? And they gave it without a doubt, especially in that match. It's like, oh, you you needed a build Let me just throw throw this in. Nikita is rattling off dates from 44, 45 years ago. It's etched in his memory. This is what it meant to him. I couldn't tell you results from some indie card or from Raw or SmackDown from two weeks ago. You know, it's, it's meaningless. Ben, Benny and I have reviewed shows on the podcast that the sh- was two days before, like uh, a Sunday event. Here we are on a Tuesday recording, and we can't remember details of a match. I like, have to check my notes for WrestleMania. Yeah, honestly. it's yeah. it's and, and I I like the fact that. Certain people, it came up in our interview uh, when we had Dominic DiNucci on and we talked uh, in our Bruno show with um, where you have younger generations. I mean, I'm I'm 37, so I was right there at the cusp in the 80s, but I watched all the tapes because that the territory tapes is what the what the local video store had. Um, But you get people in their 20s and teenagers today that have the WWE network and all they're watching is the old stuff because their dad introduced it to them or uncle or grandfather or somebody. And so, you know, I think 20, 30 years from now, people are still going to be watching Bruno matches and Billy Graham, but honestly, 20 weeks from now, I'm not going to be able to remember who main evented the last pay-per-view. You know, you, you have, I don't, as much as I love some of the talent, I've said it before, I think Daniel Bryan's probably pound for pound the best wrestler in the world today. I don't think 50 years from now, you're going to see 
Daniel Bryan being one of the number one viewed video clips on the WWE network if or, or whatever channels they're on and not not the way that people still watch this the 70s and the territory tapes today and no disrespect we because god help them god love them all for they risk everything when they step in there that it's wonderful that's great we are only saying the comparison is the way things were done at that time it, it's just so much different from what you have as performers today, performers back then had to make us believe because that's all they had. They didn't have the big machine behind them with the video and with the cable and things like that, it, and music and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. They only had themselves in the ring. And if we didn't believe it, and you can't make somebody hate you or love you. They either do or they don't. I mean, if you would go up to a Bruno fan, even today, and disrespect him, you may get punched in the face, without a doubt. But if you go up and say something about today's wrestling, they'd be like, yeah, whatever, okay, blah, blah. Right. You have to understand, this was a blue-collar sport back then. Like I said, my dad was a taxi driver. The tickets were 3 to $6 at the Garden. Later, we were upset because it went to 4 to $7 a ticket. And Bruno was the Italian strongman. And Putski you know, was the Polish strongman. And Bobo Brazil was the black champion. And Victor Rivera and, and Pedro were the Puerto Rican champions. And we loved them. We loved them. They were our heroes. It was Irish Davy O'Hannon, you know. And it was very blue-collar and ethnic. And we felt like we knew them. You know, it, it wasn't <laughs> cartoon characters. It wasn't scripted, stilted promos. It's like, like the Kita's book. It felt like it was real. It felt like it was real to us. And these guys were blue collar heroes. You know, for the most part, these guys weren't getting rich. I know guys who were headlining the garden back in the seventies and eighties. They never broke a hundred grand until the Hogan era came in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, hundred grand a year. They never broke it. These were blue collar guys on the road supporting their families, and we loved them. And to this day, I mean, I have these ongoing battles online. You know, I I I grew up on "Don't Speak Ill of the Dead," and and they're just <laughs> knocking these guys. They weren't good wrestlers, you know. Blah blah blah, and. Uh, it just it just bothers me. I mean, because these were my childhood heroes, and and I love Billy Graham with all my heart. I'm I'm telling you, I me just I, I just have the greatest memories of that guy, and it upsets me when some of the fans, you know, uh, say nasty things about him. And yeah. um, you know, I'd be bitter too if uh, Hogan and Ventura made millions and basically borrowed my gimmick. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And the bottom line, because I know you're getting short on time. I'm not saying he couldn't have. I'm just saying the reason to try to answer some of that question that's been going on. They just weren't going to do it back then because they weren't ready for the rogue champion. But as I said it, Superstar was my favorite time of the 70s and all time, actually, because I liked it, even though Bruno was our champion. It was more heat with Bruno chasing the guy that stole the belt than Bruno actually having it. So 
that's why I said Superstar being champion was my favorite time. And so much great stuff was just going on at that time. It, it was wonderful. It was, we were lucky to be fans then. We were lucky. And let me throw something else in. I would stand outside Madison Square Garden. And Billy Graham would come out and sign autographs for everybody and shake hands and chat with everybody. It wasn't one of these deals, you know, sit, sit at a table at, at WrestleMania and throw down $200 for an autograph or a, $1,000 for a two-minute cameo or whatnot. It, it, you know, it, it turned into this mercenary business. These guys, mm-hmm. these guys would sign like crazy, and you know, Bruno would shake your hand, and like you wouldn't want to wash it afterwards. You know, it was a different time. It was just a different time. But that and, was a uh, part of it, Evan. To get there early and watch them come in, that was just that was half the fun too. It mm-hmm. was exactly. It was great. And correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I lived in Maryland as a child, and and. Nikita, especially when you talk about Baltimore and and then some of the events they'd have in D.C., if you lived in that area, you knew what hotels the wrestlers were staying in when the tourists came through. So you knew where to hang hang out, what what places to go, and it was definitely something else. But Poor Ivan Koloff one night back in Baltimore, because they had this uh, door on the, the chain, and it would lift slowly. And so we, it was after the show, and he, unfortunately, was one of the last ones. So everybody's just got their ammunition. It's like, who is it? Somebody would duck down as the doors. Like, it's Koloff! And they, everybody got ready. And he knew it. And you could hear, Rum! he's gone in the end. And it's like, those bastards are out there. And as soon as that door cleared, we're nailed. he took off. He went the wrong way on a major thoroughfare to escape the crazy fans. And his car was getting pelted the whole time. <laughs> But that's the passion we had. It was crazy. And ironically, probably one of the nicest guys in the entire yes. world, right? Oh, yes. Without yeah. a doubt. Absolute opposite character, like Nikolai. Yes. That's too funny. Well, as we wrap up, we'll, we'll – uh, final final thoughts. Simple, simple one-word answer, yes or no. Evan, we'll start with you. Uh, was taking the title off Billy Graham when they did the right call? No. No, he, he would have drawn for another year or two, if if not more. Well, uh, same same question to you, Nikita. Yes or no? Was uh was that the right call? Yes, I'll follow history. It it okay. is what it was. Yes. Benny, what about you? Like I said, I mean, you, you know, it goes back to if if you know if if I'm my boss is saying you know we need you to do this job, uh, and I'm you know I'm I'm thinking well yeah I, I get it but. I'm gonna knock. I'm I'm gonna knock it out of the park. So when that ten months is up, it's like I know I said Benny, I was only gonna keep you in this job for ten months, but damn it, like you really like exceeded my expectations. I'm gonna give you another ten months, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do the same thing for the next ten months. So that when it comes up again, so I I, I really do think that I mean I think Billy Graham his body of work in his time as champion, I think it merited you know Vince McMahon to maybe reconsider. Okay. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, now, but I'll say this. Go ahead. But it bring it, the whole spectrum of wrestling. It made us a family. Like I've known Evan almost forty years. I love the guy. You know, yeah. we don't sit there and it, when we were in that arena together, you got to know certain people were there every month because you were there. You didn't want to miss it. 
You were a family. All the shit was left outside of the door. You were there at wrestling. The world was right. And that, the only thing that mattered was what happened. And that's that was the world it was yeah. in, in that arena. Yes. Well, here we are 40, 40 years later and an hour into a conversation and still no consensus. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure for 40 years from now, it will, you know, people will, like you said, we'll, we'll still be debating it, but it's definitely one of the most defining moments of the era without question. I think it, it started the catalyst. At least we can, we can agree on that. It was the catalyst for one of the biggest changes that wrestling had ever gone through at the time. And so much more to say and discuss, uh, Evan Ginsburg, Nikita Brezhikov. We are, uh, you guys, friends of the show have been since the beginning, uh, we appreciate all the time you've given, and this show was your idea, and the fact that it was just such an organic evolution of a natural conversation means the world to us. Um, I know B- Benny and I, uh, we talked with uh, some of the some of the names when we started with the Bruno Show and with, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Bruno Show, and, and Benny still trying to book his Mistake at the Lake match with, uh, with Dominic. He and he's not responding. I got to do something to call him out. We 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 would not we wouldn't be able to grow the way we have or do what we do without the voices of the past giving our support. So it means the world to us to have you guys here. Thank you. And I just I just want to tell folk in case they don't know, Billy Graham is the star of 350 Days, the documentary. So please check it out. The guy's so charismatic. You'll he love stole it. the show. I know Evan said to me we were messaging back and forth. You know, I, I had mentioned that when we uh, interviewed uh, Gordon Sully's daughter, that uh, Gordon Sully could have narrated the Yule log, the thing that was in New York, which yeah, is it was, a, I love it was literally, and he, he could have narrated the Yule log, and it would have been great. But you know, Evan said Billy Graham could have recited the phone book, and made it interesting, and that he was yeah. that charismatic. Yeah, and he's a good <laughs> artist too. Yes. Yeah. Great artwork. And our Evan and I's good friend Scott Wilson sends a lot of artwork to Superstar, and he appreciates it very much. And every story I've ever heard, is, like you just said too, about the autographs, is his appreciation even to this day for for the fans and the 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 man behind the character. So for uh, Evan Ginsburg, like he said, documentary out there, three hundred fifty days. I recommend it for. Nikita Brezhnikov, the book, When It Was Real, Amazon. I check it out. I also recommend that. For the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spasciano. This has been a great conversation. Have a good night, everyone. And as always, happy wrestling. Night, guys.